0: Our Bible reading today and the sermon text for today is Acts chapter 15, verses 30 to 36. You can find it in the Bible, or you can open to page 8, and you'll find it uh, there as well, including, if you're interested, a Greek translation, uh, the the Greek text, which uh, is available if you are interested in that kind of thing. And if you will open in the Bible, in the Pew Bible, to Acts chapter 15, on page 924, we'll read God's word together. Let me invite you please to stand. A reading from Acts chapter 15, verses 30 to 36. So when they were sent off, They went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. That is the letter from the Council of Jerusalem, verse 31. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers To those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. The word of the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this chance to be together this morning. Thank you, Father, so much for the love you've placed between us in Christ. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd be pleased now to uh, draw us close to you, that you would open our ears and our hearts and give us grace, Father, that we might be able to hear your voice, obey it, and rejoice in it. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. Please be seated. You all know the name Paul Harvey. Yeah, if you're my generation or around my age, even remotely, you probably have heard of the great news commentator Paul Harvey. I was raised on Paul Harvey. He used to have a daily radio program. And uh, I grew up hearing the news translated to us, delivered to us by Paul Harvey. It's a very interesting uh, character. I read a little bit about him this week. One of the things that I remember most distinctly about him was a segment he often did called... The rest of the story. Raise your hand if you remember the rest of the story. Yeah, a few of us remember the rest of the story. Well, uh, I'd like for us to think a little bit about the rest of the story of the church in Antioch. Because we've been for the past several Sundays looking together at uh, what we can discover about the church in Antioch and what it might have to say to us. And uh, I have included in this series reflections on church planting I've included reflections on being missional, and I've included some reflections on other aspects of life in Antioch. And the story of the church in Antioch has become very, very special to me. It's always been special to me, but I think more recently as we've done this series, as we've been looking at this passage of the scriptures, it's come to be even dearer to me. And I'd like for us to think a little bit this morning about the story of the church in Antioch, just sort of by review. You know the story. It's in Acts chapters 11, 13, 15. It shows up again very briefly in chapter 18. This is a church that figures prominently in the history, not only of the ministry of Paul, which of which it is definitely a prominent feature, but also of the, the whole story of Acts. Uh, it's not a coincidence, I don't think, that that the story of Antioch is literally in the middle of the book of Acts. Uh, it is the fulcrum in which the book of Acts shows its function, how the church was being used and how God in his providence was at work. And so the church of Antioch and its stories become very dear to me. If you look back at chapter 11, just a few pages earlier, you remember that the church was founded in a, in a highly unusual way. Uh, the, the writer, Luke, actually says in verse 19 that it was the fruit of the gathering together of some folks who had been scattered, Luke says, because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. This was a church literally born out of persecution. Persecution. It was created not by anybody very famous, but by some people that that Luke simply calls a people from as far away as Phoenicia and Cyprus, speaking the word to no one except Jews. It was a group of people who'd come, and in verse uh, 26, it says that some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Jesus. Uh, This was a church that was founded by people whose names we don't know. Uh, They were people who had a difficult background. Uh, They had been brought to faith themselves, and they had come and were preaching Jesus there in this city of Antioch. And uh, it continues through the end of chapter 11. It picks up again in chapter 13 where we discover this church becomes the first sending church that we read about. After Jerusalem, this this was the church that, that sent the first missionaries that we read about, uh, Paul and Barnabas, uh, who go and uh, begin this ongoing work of spreading the gospel, which Acts records. And it turns out Antioch is the sending church for these missionaries who go and And begin the work of taking the gospel beyond the cradle in Jerusalem and the surrounding area out into the rest of the world. Uh, Acts chapter 15 records how Antioch was actually the cause of the very first church council. The reason there was a council in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 is because of Antioch. Because of what God was doing in Antioch, Uh, the church heard about it they sent Barnabas to to uh, discover what was going on to investigate and uh, and so as a result of that the church gathers all the elders all the apostles and others gather in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 and Acts chapter 15 records the very first church council and the reason for that church council interestingly was Antioch what the Lord was doing in Antioch it raised questions And those questions began to be answered uh, in the Council of Jerusalem. Uh, We read more about it as we uh, saw uh, how the uh, answer to the church in Antioch uh, became really a kind of manifesto for the ongoing mission. And we saw how the... uh, Final message of Jerusalem. As, as the council gathered. They, they, they agreed with Paul. They agreed with Peter. That the gospel was for the Gentiles. And they sided with that interpretation. They, they actually distanced themselves from those who said you had to be circumcised. To be a Jew in order to become a Christian. They actually sided with Antioch. They sided with the, the apostolic call to inclusiveness. And yet the letter they sent while affirming those things also, as I pointed out last week, said something like, in so many words, don't forget the Jews. Don't forget those of the Jewish covenant. As you take the gospel to the Gentile world, don't forget those of the old covenant. And so Antioch has this pivotal role to play. The story of the church in Antioch, in a very real sense, is the story of the church. Because it was through Antioch that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, led the church into its mission. Now, uh, I want to highlight three fundamental values that we have seen in Antioch. We've talked about them over the past several Sundays, but I want to mention them to you again, maybe slightly regrouped less to do with what they did than why they did it. All the things they did flow from these three fundamental values. First of all, a being centered on Christ, second of all, being focused on God's word and by God's word, and third, committed to mission. Now I find those three very very happy fundamental values Because those of you who came from Christchurch Carrollton might remember Christ-centered, Bible-focused, and mission-minded. Those were our guiding principles at Christchurch Carrollton. For 11, 12 years, those were the values which we sought to live out in our little church's life. And it's happy for me to be able to see how those mirror, in a very significant way, what Antioch was seeking to do. So first of all, they sought to be centered on Christ. If you remember back in Acts chapter 11, verse 20, this is how Luke sums up what they were trying to do, what they were doing when they planted this church in Antioch. If you look at verse 20, it says, some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, notice how he describes it, preaching the Lord Jesus. Preaching the Lord Jesus. That's a wonderful way to sum up what Antioch was founded on. It was was founded on the preaching of the Lord Jesus. Uh, That's an interesting way of describing the gospel and the presentation of the gospel. I think it's almost unique. Paul talks about uh, preaching uh, the cross of Christ and preaching Christ and him crucified. But here's a description of a whole church church that embraces that idea that the essence of the gospel is a person. It's not rituals, it's, it's not a, an institution, it's not a philosophy, it's a person. At the center of the church in Antioch, and in, at the center of the church as it grows, as it fulfills its mission, is Jesus Christ, who is given to us by the Father, who is made known to us by the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, whom we see revealed in the person of Christ. That was a fundamental value. It shaped everything else they did. Everything they do in the chapters that we read about here in the book of Acts, everything we learn about them in history, everything that we see in the unfolding work of the church, is always centered on Christ the proclamation of Jesus, the preaching of Jesus. I think that's important for us to to remember and remember again and remember again. It is our centeredness on Jesus that gives meaning to everything else because, brothers and sisters, everything else is competing for our focus. Everything else is competing for our making a priority. We're, We're constantly being pulled. And for 2,000 years, the church has been pulled through false teaching about Christ and by infinite distractions that can pull us away from our being centered on Jesus and preaching him to the world around us. Yet that was a fundamental value in Antioch. In my prayer for MetroCrest, as we enter our 34th year, as we look towards the future God has put in front of us, is that Jesus Christ will always, always, always be at the center of our life. That's part of the story of Antioch. There was was more. And it flows from the first fundamental. The second fundamental is that Antioch was focused on God's word, and I'll say again, by God's word. They weren't just a Bible debating society. They were focused on, on God's word and as they were focused on it, they were shaped by it. They were shaped by it. And we see glimpses of this all through the, the, the chapters that have to do with Antioch. Uh, we see that that's actually what uh, led to the founding of the church. It was the preaching of Jesus. It was, it was preaching. It was, it was speaking the word in verse 19. Uh, it's, it's this this Teaching of of what God has revealed about himself that became the the textbook for the church. If you look uh, down at the bottom of page 920 to Acts chapter 11, verse 26, it says, When Barnabas had found Saul, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people church in Antioch was a, was a teaching church, a preaching church. It was a, it was a church where they, they listened to God's word and that shaped who they became. That shaped who they were. That shaped what they did. God's word continued to have a central role in the life of the church. The central place of, of truly listening to the words of scripture which pointed always towards Christ. And so we have reference after reference to the the teaching that went on in Antioch. Uh, if you look over nearer to the passage that uh, we're looking at this morning, chapter 13, verse uh, 44, it says uh, that was part of what Paul went on to do as he spread the church, the message of the gospel from Antioch. It was, He says here, to hear the word of the Lord, to proclaim the word of the Lord. If you flip over to chapter 15, you see again and again, that's what Paul and Barnabas and the church at Antioch always sought to do. It was to to teach God's word. And that's not only a part of the story of the church of Antioch, it's the story of, of every church that seeks by the power of the Spirit to preach Christ. The way you preach Jesus is by focusing on God's word, being shaped by God's word, not speculation, not fanciful stories, not anecdotes that entertain us, but to be focused on what God has said to us, telling us about himself. I think Will's exactly right. It's an amazing thing to think for a moment that the God who created all these amazing things actually has a desire to be in relationship with us. And the way he comes into relationship with us is by the Spirit, through his word. And that was a central, fundamental value of the church in Antioch. And then finally, as they were focused on and by God's word, the third value is they became more and more and more committed to mission. Now, I don't think it's right to put mission in opposition to other important priorities. There's certainly no indication here that that Paul is saying or that Luke is saying or that the church in Antioch believed that mission was an absolute, sort of cut off from everything else and that you only focused on mission. In other words, you don't care about one another. You don't care about the, the, the elements of family life that are so important. God forbid we ever stumble into that false dichotomy. It's not like that. It wasn't like that in Antioch. And I don't believe it should be like that at MetroCrest. If you, if you go all the way back to Acts chapter 2, and if you look at the very last paragraph in Acts chapter 2, you read about this church that loved each other so beautifully, so powerfully, so palpably, who showed their love in concrete ways. And it was that very love proclaimed, which became the magnet That brought people to the church. The love of God. In. Within. Among. And sometimes in spite of us. Is the most powerfully attractive thing we can do. Much bigger than mere words. Much bigger than ads you buy in the newspaper. Is this compelling magnetic love. And every once in a while we need to remind ourselves of that we need to remind ourselves that the love between us is not disconnected from our love for the world. Jesus says the world will actually know we are his disciples. How? Because we love one another. So let's not slip into thinking of these as two things that are separable, They go together as it's described in Antioch. They go together, as Paul writes, to church after church after church, calling them to authentic love for one another and calling them to authentic love for the world through mission. And that, praise God, was a fundamental value in the church at Antioch. And I think these three fundamental values are meant to help shape our view of life together. It's, it's meant to help you and me to think about what we should be doing and how we should be living our life in Christ. And yes, those places we need to correct one another. Yes, those places where we need to say, you know, this is something we need to focus on in a particularly intentional way. And that it all fits within this category of mission minded church life, church love will always include caring for one another and i want to learn how to do that better will mention the women's gathering yesterday it was a very intense time i'm told by some who were there intense and at the same time there was this this pervasive sense that this is how the lord heals us this is how he works among us not by sweeping it under the carpet or or not naming names not speaking about it the way the lord heals is it it heals us is we take these topics out and we put them on the table and in love and transparency and great patience and compassion we seek to work our way through them and I think that's a, a very important lesson for us at MetroCrest I think this is something I'm learning it's something I think we're all learning how important it is to process these things and not to try and duck them, not to try and hide from them. Some of you who are visiting with us, you're probably scratching your head saying, what what is he talking about? Well, ask someone sitting near you and you might very well hear the story that our church has been through some difficult things. We've endured some very difficult things. We've endured some serious pastoral failures. We've endured some sad breakups, some things said that can't be unsaid, things done that can't be undone. And here we are, Here we are. Where do we go? What do we do? Well, I believe we look to the church's fundamental values in Antioch. And I think if we stick to these things and cling to these things, God will lead us forward. He will bless us. He will help us. He will do the things, Will, that we can't do by ourselves. There's a whole lot of stuff we can't do by ourselves. But God will help us. I hope you will join us as we seek to do those things in mission, in love for Christ, as we love for one another, reaching out and preaching Jesus. Now, I mentioned the rest of the story. Well, let me give you the rest of the story because Antioch is is such a fascinating church. I want to tell you a little bit of the rest of the story. Christ-centered. It really became a central driving focus of the church in Antioch that went far beyond the first century in which Paul lived and suffered. The things we read about in Acts 11 through 16. It goes far beyond that because the church at Antioch took root and it became a church that lived out these fundamental values. There's a name I'll bet you've never heard, Saint Eustaceus, Tathius. Saint Eustathius. I, I say you probably haven't heard of him. I know I'd never heard of him. Saint Eustathius. Saint Eustathius sometimes is called Saint Eustathius the Great. And the reason he's called Saint Eustathius the Great is because he was elected the bishop, the overseer, the elder of elders in the church in Antioch in 323 AD, hundreds of years after Paul the church that had been started with the teaching of God's word, the preaching of Jesus, the call to mission. Eustathius was elected the bishop of the church in 323 AD. If you're a church historian, you might know that two years later was the Council of Nicaea, the first ecumenical council after Jerusalem, and representatives of the church gathered in uh, Nicaea, a seaside resort city in the n- north of Turkey, just, uh, just uh, across uh, the peninsula we call Turkey today from where Antioch was. Uh, Eustathius went to Antioch. And you know what Eustathius did? I didn't know this. He became one of the leading voices for what became known as the Nicaean definition of Christ. The the oneness of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. The oneness of the the humanity of Christ and the deity of Christ. Eustathius became one of the leading, prominent opponents of what was called Arianism, which was a deficient, defective, heretical theology, which denied the humanity and deity of Christ. It It was... It was a mess of a theology. And it was Eustathius who went from the church in Antioch to go and to contend for the truth of who Jesus Christ was and is today. And it's it's an amazing thing to contemplate that that little church founded by Paul on the preaching of Jesus that was nurtured on the teaching of the scriptures, that little church produced one of the greats who went and contended for the Orthodox Christian faith that you and I embrace today. If you believe in Nicene Christianity, if you believe in the, the oneness of the Trinity, and if you believe that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one in, in, in this spiritual union, in this spiritual reality, this one oneness of substance, then, then you are indebted to Eustathius and to the Church in Antioch. Because they contended for Jesus. Bible focused. When I went to seminary uh, 100 years ago, uh, we were taught that in the early stages of the church, in the anti-Nicene Fathers period, and, and in the period around the Nicene Fathers, uh, there, was, there, were, there emerged two schools of theology Two schools of Bible hermeneutics. Two different ways of looking at the scriptures. The first school was called the Alexandrian School. And the Alexandrian School, which was led by, at this, say, around the time of Nicaea, was led by a very famous Christian teacher named Origen. O-R-I-G-E-N. You may recognize that name. You may have studied Origen. Origen became the leader of the Alexandrian School. And the Alexandrian School emphasized an allegorical interpretation of the Bible, So you could pick up a text and you could allegorize everything that's said there. You could turn it into an allegory for something else. And rather than the specific words of the text, you focused entirely on the spiritual meaning of the text. And with that basic understanding of Bible hermeneutics, Origen wound up in some very weird places interpreting the Bible allegorically. Well, you know what the big opposing school to Origen and the Alexandrian approach to theology in those early centuries of the church. The big opposing school of thought was called the Antiochian school of Bible interpretation. It was actually centered in Antioch, the city where Paul had taught the Bible. Antioch became the center of reflecting on the meaning of the author what you might call the the historical grammatical approach to the Bible, which is you dig in and try to understand the context, and you study the language, and your purpose as a preacher, as a Bible commentator, is to try and ascertain what the author meant, and then to apply it faithfully to the church's life, wherever we are. It was this idea that the author meant something, and that it was important to try and grasp that, to understand that before applying it, that was all the fruit of Paul's work and Barnabas's work under the Holy Spirit, teaching a little church to be focused on God's Word and to really pay attention to God's word, and to be focused by it. It bore fruit for hundreds of years. And then finally, the mission-mindedness of the church in Antioch. Uh, It's very interesting. I said before, this is kind of the fulcrum of the book. After Paul leaves Antioch, and he does that in verse 36, after he leaves Antioch, he and Barnabas have a disagreement. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. That's the reality in church life. There's conflict. There's disagreement. Well, they go their separate ways. Barnabas goes with Mark to Cyprus to the west of Antioch where Barnabas was from. But Paul goes north and slightly west as he goes towards modern day Turkey, through Turkey as he sets his sight towards Europe. And in the first 17 verses or so, sorry, the verse, first five verses or so, uh, Paul is wrestling with the Spirit. Where do I go? What do I do? How do I proclaim the gospel? How do I preach Jesus? And verses 1 to 5 describe him wrestling with that. He prays. The Holy Spirit says no. He seeks. What do I do? Where do I go? He sought to be faithful. And Then if you look at verse 6, they make their way. And in uh, verse 10, it says, Paul has a vision. Immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And Macedonia was Europe. Sometimes it's called the Macedonian call. That's the way it's labeled here. There's an interesting change that happens, right, in those verses. You You may not have noticed it. It's the pronouns. It goes from Luke saying, they and them... To we and us. It's here in Acts chapter 16 where Luke enters the story personally. He was a Gentile. He had that background. And he becomes part of this unfolding story of mission. And from Acts chapter 16 on. This is Paul's second missionary journey. From Acts 16 on we see this interaction of Paul. Shaped by what he had seen and what he had learned in Antioch, he takes that message to the rest of the world. He takes it to first to Philippi. Another one of my favorite sections. Paul goes to Philippi. And it's there where a woman named Lydia is converted to Christ. The first person who is converted to Jesus in Europe that we know anything about is Lydia, a businesswoman. It was a woman in in. Philippi, who became the very first person we read about who's drawn to Christ. This idea of mission being unfolded, and it's unfolded in Paul's own life. And Antioch, over the centuries, became the center of the mission impulse of the church as they sent out more and more and more who preached Christ, who took God's life-giving word and proclaimed it in power. And people were drawn to Christ. And the church grew and grew and grew and grew. And if you're like me and have European ancestry, about this time, my ancestors were worshiping rocks and trees Lost in darkness. But the gospel came to them. And it's amazing to think, in a very real sense, it started in Antioch. This outward expansion of the kingdom, this this story that expands and expands and expands. It's going to expand today. We're going to gather around this little font, and we're going to see three little ones who are incorporated into this unfolding story. It's a story that already includes you and me. It's a story that's going to include them. And we get to be a part of this this growth, this expansion, this glorious expansion of the love of God through the likes of you and me. And that, brothers and sisters, is the rest of the story. It doesn't end in Antioch. It doesn't end in Acts chapter 16. It includes us too. As together we seek to live out what God has called us to do and to be.